man. Welcome to the roads. Glad to have you. Glad to have you watching online, all of our e-family, to have you checking us out today. My name's Chad. If I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, we're so thrilled to hang out with you today. Hope you feel right at home. We're in our series called Generous Living, so I want to jump right into it today. So if you got your Bibles, get those out, open them up in your worship guide. you got some sermon notes. You can pull those out. Take notes. Why? Because note takers are world changers. Get on your Version Bible app if you'd like to use your phone. And sermon notes are available for you on there as well. Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Woo! Just holler because we're excited about the Bible. What God's doing in our life, we believe that uh, God is the most exciting thing in the universe. So we're, we're thrilled to hang out with you. Generous living, you know, we've been talking about this. We started last week, and when we mentioned, when we mentioned generous living, I want to make sure we understand generous living is not about a generous act, but a generous lifestyle. It's not about one thing I do that's generous or trying to handpick was, was that generous, was that generous, was that. It's just about having a generous lifestyle in everything that we do and everything in our life. One of the core values, we have, you know, 10 core values we try and emphasize here at the church that we built on. And one of the 10 core values that we wanted to build our culture on was generosity. And so we said, we live generously. Freely we receive, freely we give. How many knows it's easy to freely receive? We're experts at that. I say experts. Some people struggle receiving. I get that. You know, some people, you try and give them something, they won't take it. But for the most part, people are more than happy to have a free handout. But it's a different deal to give freely. And this is what generosity looks like. So it's one of our core values we wanted to build on here. And at the roads, we're not trying to, this is very important, I think, to emphasize, we're not trying to build an organization on the backs of generous people. Our goal is to exist and be an organization that's available on mission and purpose to build generous people. So we're not building an organization on generous people. We're an organization wanting to invest in and build you and build you as a generous person. That's why we're here is to build people. We're not in the organization building business. We're in the people building business. We're not succeeding if we build a big organization. We'll be succeeding when we build big people. Big followers of Jesus, growing in your relationship with God. So that's what it's about. Generous lifestyle is going to grow you. It's not about, you know, fundraising or, or making something about us. It's about building something on the inside of people. And you might ask, why do I need to be generous? What's the purpose of being generous? Here's what the Bible says, and I'll give it to you, the, the message uh, translation. Proverbs chapter 11 Verse 24 says, the world of the generous, all right, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. You catch that? Read again. The world of the generous gets what? Larger. Everybody say larger. larger. Everybody else say larger. <laughs> it gets larger and larger. But what happens to the world of the stingy? It gets smaller and smaller. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be stingy. Don't be stingy. When we're stingy, our world gets small. But look what the next verse says. In verse 25, it goes on to say, the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. 
and those who help others are helped. Notice what it says. Notice the language. That's why we pay attention to the Bible. Those who bless, who blesses others, the, the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Doesn't mean those who bless others will be blessed. They are blessed. The one who blesses others, they're blessed. It's who they are. They're, they're living in the blessing. So when we're a giver, when we're a generous person, we're living in the blessing. We're not being generous to get a blessing. We're, we're blessed, be, we're, we're experiencing a blessing because we are generous. So notice what it says. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. world of the stingy, smaller, smaller, smaller. So what does that mean to me? The area of our life that we lack generosity is the area of our life we will struggle in. If there's an area of your life that you're not doing well in, we need to examine that area and check your generosity in that area. Got an area of your life that you want to flourish, grow bigger, get stronger? Any area. I'm not talking about just finances. I'm talking about you got some love issues, you got relationship issues, you got emotional issues. The area that we're struggling in, we need to look at what is our generosity in that area. What we need to do to fix that area, be more generous in the area we are struggling in. But our habit is, if we're struggling in an area, the world says you just withdraw more. Hold on to what you have more. Hey, things are tight. I, I, I got to hang on to what I've got. I don't have much time. So I'm just, I see this all the time. People that start struggling spiritually, here's what will happen. They'll say, you know what? I just need to focus on me. I'm going to pull out a serving here. I'm going to pull out of this, pull out a dream team, pull out of the connect group. I'm going to just pull out. I'm just going to focus on me. Your world is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. If you find yourself struggling spiritually, do not, do not resist the temptation of the enemy to withdraw and focus on yourself. If you want to really get past that, the trick is you give more. Get involved more. Get more generous. So you know what? I just feel like nothing's going right right now. What do I need to do if I want my world to get larger and larger? I just need to be more generous. Be more generous with your compliments. Well, nobody's complimenting me. Nobody's saying that I look nice. I wish people would compliment me more. Well, you know what? If you will be more complimentary, people will compliment you, even if they just do it because they feel guilty and have to say it back to you. <laughs> Whatever it takes, get a compliment. No, but here's the principle. It's sowing and reaping. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. It just gets larger. If you, sowing and reaping. We will reap. Because we sow. We don't sow so that we will reap. Come on, run with me right here. You got to stay with me. Watch you online. We will reap because we sow. Now, we could talk about that in any area of your life. If you will give, it will be given back to you. You will receive. Now, we don't manipulate and say, okay, well, I'm going to give so that I can receive. That's manipulation. You don't manipulate God. But it is a law. If we give, we will receive. And that's why the world, anybody want their world to get larger and larger? I'm not talking about body size. I'm just talking, some of you got nervous. I'm just talking, I want my world to get larger. I don't want to live in a small, closed up world where the only focus is on me. When I focus on myself, I get depressed. 
When I focus on my issues, I get discouraged. When I focus on what's wrong with me, it's not fun. But when I focus on someone else, man, my world gets larger and larger. Application. I was getting ready, the service was getting ready to start the second service. An individual, individual comes up to me and said, hey, uh, can I talk to you in private? I pull out my phone. I'm like, it's 1043. I've got places to go, people to see. It's like, hey, just, it'll just take a minute. I'll go to talk to that person and find out it's a person just got out of rehab and wanted to ask Jesus into their life. I said, I think I've got time. I think I've got time. See, when you think about yourself, it gets to be the, the dark world. But now when you say, you know what? I want to give. I'm wired tighter than a clock right now because I just saw someone weeping and receiving the love of God for the first time into their life. This is why we're here, to give, to be generous with your life, to make it not about us. It's not about us. It's about somebody else. It's about giving. This is what we're building is generous people. So this is what we're talking about. So now we're going we're gonna to build it in every area of our life. Last week we talked about in Romans 12, we talked about giving of our time and our talents, the gifts that God's put in our hand. We defined the word generous. It means voluntary, uncompelled giving, open-handed, marked by abundance or ample proportions, open-handed, we're giving, we're going to be generous people, we're just open-handed with our giving, open-handed with my serving, open-handed with my generosity, open-handed with my compliments, open-handed with my love, open-handed with my forgiveness. I'm just generous. That's what you're, we're trying to apply into our life. Now notice what it says. Marked by ample proportions. When you think generosity, here's something I want you to catch right now and we'll plug it into the rest of the message. Generosity is when you're generous with your proportion. It's not about someone else's proportion. It's not about comparing against someone else's proportion. It's about being generous with your proportion. In other words, what do you have to give from? Generosity is not based on one big amount versus a small amount. It's the intent of the heart. And this is how we can live a generous lifestyle. I want to be generous with the proportion that God has given me. It doesn't mean that some people are graced to give and some people aren't graced to give. We're all graced to give. The difference is we're all graced with different proportions to give from. And if we'll be faithful with what God's given us, it's going to make a difference in our life and we will experience a larger life. So we want to build generous people in every area of life. Last week we talked about serving and giving of our talents. This week, as I'm praying about what would I build, and God just began to ask me, if you were going to build someone spiritually, if you just one-on-one, -on -one, if I would spend time, if I commit with you and I say, okay, one-on-one, -on -one, I'm going to spend every week with you an hour every week and we're just going to disciple he said, how would you build someone spiritually? So I started going through the things that I think were important in building a generous life. And this subject would be absolutely 100% one thing we would talk about, and it would be finances. We would talk about what the Bible has to say about finances. And the reason we do it, because I want to pour into people what I believe God wants them to have. How many knows that, in, and I see this all the time when I talk to people, one of the most consistent issues that people struggle with in life is money. It, it's, all of us have dealt with it. We all deal with it every day. Money is important. It's an important part of our life. Money is not the root of all evil. 
Some people, you get in church and you start talking about money and people start twitching. They get nervous. They're like, oh, man, I don't, don't, don't talk about See, the reason that we, we're, we're following a world system, trying to follow what the world does, I mean, yet we're not asking God to get involved in our finances when he's the one that's going to bless that area of our life. The Bible has a lot to say about finances. Let me give you this stat, statistic. How many knows that prayer is important? You would rate that pretty important? There's 500 in, verses in the Bible that talk about prayer. Faith, that'd be pretty important. We'd put that up there. There's 500 verses in the Bible about faith. But when it comes to money and possessions, there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible about money and possessions. Four times the amount of verses on faith and prayer. Do you think the Bible has a lot to say about money? Jesus told 38 parables. 16 of those parables had to do with money and possessions. That's about 42% for those of you that are going to check my math right now. It's good to know that a certain percentage right now is on their phone. They're going 16 divided by 30. Yep, 42. There you go. So evidently it's a big deal. Money, let me tell you this. Money is a test. If you're going to build people spiritually, money is not the factor. It is a test. And if we will not pass the money test, a money reveals a lot about our loyalty, about our affections, and our priorities. The Bible says this in Matthew 6, 21. There's a verse in your Bible that says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You would think it would be worded the other way around, that where your heart is, your treasure will be. No, no, that's what, not what Jesus said. Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart's going to follow. In other words, where you put your money, your interest is going to go. You invest money into something, guess what? You're interested in that. You invest money into Google stock, guess what you're watching? You may not care about any other stock. You're watching Google. You invest money in a boat, guess what you're going to do? You're going to find time to boat. You've got it. Might as well use it. Doesn't mean boating is wrong. It just means your interests are going to follow. So this is what the barometer is. We're checking where we put our, our investment, where you put your treasure, there your heart's going to be. So let's look at what the Bible says about money. We're looking here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. My first ever series on money and finance on the Bible came in 2010, Giving God's Way. You can check that out. They're all free. Uh, you can catch, some, uh, catch those out there in the foyer. Then the last time I did a series on money was 2015 called Dollars and Cents. So I haven't done it in three years. So if you're here for church for the first time, like, oh, there we go, talking about money every time. It's been three years, dude. <laughs> can't, can't blame me. It's been three Where you been? <laughs> but the reason, again, the reason we're going to talk about it is sincerely because God wants to help you. Every person has to deal with money. And I'm, I'm convinced, I've walked it out in my life, I know where God has brought me from. It doesn't mean I have arrived, I just know what the Bible says and how it helped me, whether you're a junior high or whether you're a child, I've got a five-year-old in this room. As You can be as young or as old, we need to know what the Bible has to say about money. And here's what, Paul's writing a letter to the Corinthian church, and he says here in chapter 8, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you... The grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, churches of Macedonia, just to give you a picture on where this is on the map, this is the area, uh, Estonia, and somewhere in there, uh, Kosovo. It's right above Greece. You can see the Macedonia there on the map. This is uh, above the place of Achaia. You see Corinth. This is where the letter was written to the church in that city in Corinth. 
Now notice that Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, that's where the letter of Philippines was written to. It wasn't uh, Philippians, not Philippines. (laughs) (laughs) Philippians was written to them. uh, And the first and second Thessalonians was written to the Thessalonican church. Now, I want you to see something. Notice the comparison. Notice they're close to each other because Paul's going to do something here in this story that might shock some people, that he's going to use the story of what's happening in the Macedonians to stir up the Corinthians. He's going to brag on what's happened in the Macedonians to encourage them. So look what he says. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God, so a specific grace that is bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. What's happening in their world? I'm going to let you know what's happening in their churches. Verse 2, that in a great trial of affliction, so they're in a great trial of affliction, not like feels like, could be, seems like. They're in right now, this church, the people of this church, they're in a great trial of affliction. That word trial means a proving, like to prove something, like a test, to go through something to test the genuineness of something. He said, they're they're going through a great trial of affliction. That word affliction means pressure. You got me under pressure, right? So they're totally in a pressure. Anybody ever felt financial pressure? Anybody ever felt emotional pressure, relationship pressure? They're in a situation right now. They are in, or we would say under, great stress or pressure. That's the condition. Just laying it out for you where they are. They're in it. You ever been in some pressure? Maybe you're watching online. You ever been in pressure? None of these people have ever been in pressure. (laughs) But look what happened in their pressure. Great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. That abundance means just excess or overflow of their joy and their deep poverty. That just means literally beggarly level living. Total depravity. That's the experience they're in. Their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now, I give you the definitions of some of those words just so you can get the picture painted in your mind. But it says they were in this place of hardship and depravity. But in the midst of that, the abundance of their joy, the abundance of their joy, even in their deep poverty, abounded to the riches or the excess of their generosity. So in other words, these people had the audacity to be generous and giving in the midst of pressure and affliction. In the midst of a not good, ideal economic situation, they still chose to be generous. This is why I'm encouraging generosity is not in amount. Some people say the person who who gives uh, $1,000 is generous. The kid who drops in a quarter is not generous. Do not underestimate the value of a quarter in the heart of God. See, when you give from your heart, generosity is not based on the amount I gave. It it is based on the amount I gave out of. When I made $5 an hour, Balin, hey, for me to give 50 cents was a big deal. It was a big deal. But now you get to where now if you're saying, if say just for round numbers sake, say you make $50,000 a year, that same 50 cents does not get the same value. Do you understand where I went there? It's because you're giving out of a different proportion. 
God's not asking you to give a certain amount. He's asking you to be generous with what he puts in your hand. This is what generous, it's what he's talking about with the Macedonians. He said that they gave out of their poverty, even out of their great affliction. They had great generosity. You can be in a situation of tremendous pressure or hardship and still abound in the fullness of generosity. Here's the problem. Some people mistake that generosity can only happen in the presence of abundance. If I've got a bunch extra, then I'll be generous. That's not generosity. When you give out of extra, that's not generous. When you give out of necessity, that's generous. When you don't have much time, when you're pressed for time, and you take time out to give to someone, that is generous of your time. When you're sitting around binge-watching Netflix, you got nothing else to do, and you give someone else five minutes of your time, that may not be generous. But when you give of something that you don't have much of, this church gave financially when they didn't have much. That's generous. And that's what God's asking us to be, generous people. You know, sometimes the best way to get out of a pressure situation is to give your way out. That's what I've found in my life. Times have been the most pressure-filled financially. The best thing I could do is give my way out. I'm like, I don't, what I have isn't enough, so I'm going to start giving of what I have, and I'm going to trust God. Well, that's just foolish. That's just foolish. I understand it's foolish, but I came out. You can tell me it's foolish all day long, but it's worked for me for years and years and years, that I'm going to trust God, that I'm just going to be generous. And when pressure comes, like, God, what do I have? I don't have enough, but I've got seed. I'll give of what I have. What you have in your hand may not be what you need, but it sure can be seed. And it can grow into what you need. Some people will say this. They'll say, I'd be generous if I had more. How many people went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over the $1.5 billion Mega Millions lottery? I mean, our country turns upside down when the lottery gets so big. People just coming out of the woodwork, buying tickets and never buy them, prophesying over their money what's going to happen when they win. People getting all kinds of generous. I tell you what I'll do. You hear the stories. You know what? What would I do? I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd do this. If I, I'm like, you would not. Tell you what I'd tell you, I'd just build churches all around the country. That's what I would do. No, you wouldn't. You're not giving on what you have. What makes you think you would give on what you don't have? Too many times we think generosity comes from abundance. But I promise you this, if you'll not give on the small amount that God's given you right now, you will not give on the larger amount. Because the amount will get too big and you'll choke out. You'll choke out on it. If you won't give a dollar on $10... You won't give $100 on $1,000. If somebody gives you or writes you a check today for $100,000, you go, whoa, I got it. Okay. So am I going to give $10,000 to the church? Absolutely not. $10,000. Good. What are they they going to do? Is he going to buy another vest with that? I mean, (laughs) $10,000. I say this to help people. The best part wasn't to help people. It was the other comment. Because <laughs> I've seen this in my life. I've seen this when I've had small amounts, and I gave from that. And then I say, God, see, the difference is, are you going to be someone that God can get money through, 
or is it all going to stop with you? People don't understand generosity because they're, they just take. And they don't understand that generosity means you're a giver. God can't get more to you if he's not going to get it through you. If everything bottlenecks at you and you find a way to use everything he puts in your hand and you don't ever give out, God's not going to bring more into your hand. We got to learn to be generous. We got to learn to let it flow through because there's times that, that I'll, I'll be like, okay, God bring a larger amount into my hand and I'll be like, sweet, I got plans for this. And he speaks to my heart, that's not for you, that's for someone else. Well, then why didn't you just give it to him then? You know what? Why do you, why are you causing me all this stress and anxiety over trying to? It's a test. Am I Lord or is money Lord? But God, what if I don't get any more? <laughs> I'm just being real. You know, what if, what, if, what if I never get this amount again? I could never, what if I, this lump sum, what if what this amount never comes into my hand again? What if, <sighs> if you will let go and trust God, he will see that you are a conduit. That he says, if I need to get money to someone, I can trust them. Give it to them. Give it to them. I know what they'll do with it. They will put it right where I want them to. But if we will not be generous and let God flow to us, whether it's our time, whether it's our finances, whatever, God's going to make your world larger and larger if you'll let stuff flow through you. But if it comes to you and you're like, what about me? What about me? What about me? What about me? My world. My world. Me. I got needs. You know, I mean, you can be, it just starts bottlenecking in. I ain't got time to serve. I ain't got time to serve other people. I got stuff to do. Okay. God's not going to bring freedom where it's all going to get used up on ourselves. So this is what happens. They gave, verse 3, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. I didn't say free willy. I said freely willing. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> Old movie. So then verse 3. When he says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, remember, these are people in poverty, according to their ability and beyond their ability. Now, the word ability is really cool because that word ability is the Greek word dunamis, which may not mean anything to us other than it's the same word used for power through most of the New Testament when it talks about the miraculous power of God. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power, Acts 1.8. It's the same word. So notice what happened. They gave according to their ability or according to their power and beyond their ability or beyond their power or beyond their force, they were freely willing. In other words, they chose. You got to choose for yourself to be generous. You can't be, it's not generosity if someone takes it from you. If someone makes you give that toy back to your sister, that is not generosity. Hey, share. You give it to them now. Give it, give it. That's not generous. Not that we've ever experienced that in our household. I've just heard other people have that problem. But notice what they did. They gave according to their ability and beyond. I started thinking about that. What's beyond my ability? What's beyond my power? God's power. What if, what if, for us to experience beyond our ability, it was contingent upon us engaging our ability. They gave according to their ability, and then they were able to experience beyond their ability. 
I submit to you the reason sometimes we don't experience the miraculous power of God is because we're not engaging our power. We're not engaging our efforts. We're waiting on God to do something and then we'll do something. And God says that's not how it works. When you come to the end of your rope, then I can step in. But if you won't even use what I've given you now, why would I give you more? If you'll never talk to someone, if you'll never pray for someone, if you'll never go out and lay hands on someone, if you'll never try and encourage someone, why would I use you even more? I want to experience all the power of God in my life. So in order to do that, I need to use up everything I've got in order to get to his. Does that make sense? We're never going to get beyond our ability if we don't use our ability. If we sit around and go, yeah, I'm not that important. Engage your ability. Engage your ability financially. Engage your ability with your efforts, with your emotion, with your time. Engage your ability and then watch God do what you can't do. So they gave, verse 4, imploring us with much urgency that we, should, we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Look what these people did. In verse 5 in the Amplified Version, it goes on to say that was the gift of theirs wasn't merely the contribution that they expected. But first they gave of themselves to the Lord and to us as his agents by the will of God. And then it goes on to say, entirely disregarding their personal interests. Here's generosity defined right here for us. Entirely disregarding their personal interests. Does that sound like our culture right now? Does it sound like that on Facebook? Does it sound like that on the news? People entirely disregarding their personal interests, they gave as much as they possibly could. What would it be like if we totally disregarded our own personal interests and just gave to other people? That's why it's so quiet, because it's so foreign. Because we just think about, well, I got problems, I got needs, I know. But if we will turn our affections and point to how can I help others, it's amazing how much bigger our world would get when we don't focus on ourselves. Totally disregarding ourselves and begin to give. This is what they did. Look at verse 6. So we urged Titus. That word urged is the same word we used last week for beseech. Anybody beseech anybody this week? <laughs> so, we, so we beseech Titus. Titus is, is the one helping this Corinthian church. So there, he encouraged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Now remember, this is a letter to this church. Here's what's happening. He's encouraging Titus this grace. Remember back to verse 1, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. It's a specific grace, the grace of giving. He said, hey, I urge Titus that as he begun, so he would also complete this grace in you. There's a different grace in you that needs to be completed, church of Corinth. You're good on some graces, but there's a grace in you that hasn't been completed yet. It hasn't been fully manifested yet. You're good in some areas. He goes on to tell them what, what areas they're good in. Look at verse 7. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love. Notice what he's telling them. Man, church, you are good. You are good in your faith. Man, you believe in God. Your faith is strong. 
church at Corinth. You're, you're good with your faith. I like your faith. I'm bragging on your faith. And, and then I like I also your speech, which means your words. Man, you guys, you guys got some great words. You're using your words well. You're encouraging one another. Your speech is phenomenal. Church, you are incredible. And your knowledge, man, what you guys know, what? It's crazy. Your knowledge is awesome. What you know about the word, what you know about the things of God, it's fantastic. Your diligence, don't let get me started on your diligence. Man, you are, that word diligence there means you're fast, you're quick to do. It means excellence, means you're bringing your A game, one of our core values. You do it with excellence. Do it with your best. He's like, man, church, you guys always decked out. You do your best. That's phenomenal. Your love, whoo, your love, agape love, it's amazing too. You guys love one another. You know, remember that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 I wrote to you, that love thing? You grabbed a hold of that, and you are really working the love thing. You guys are awesome. But look what he says. See that you abound in this grace. Everybody say this grace. See that you abound in this grace also. So you mean faith, speech, knowledge, diligence, love, that's not enough? Not according to God. This Corinthian church was awesome. They were fantastic with the spiritual gifts. They were operating spiritual gifts, you know, word of wisdom, prophesying, faith, healings. They were doing great, fantastic. They loved the gifts. They were embracing the gifts, but they had a problem with their giving. Financial giving. This is where sometimes people want to separate their spirituality from their financial giving. And Paul brought it together. And he said, listen, Church of Corinth, you are doing so good in these areas. But you need help in your giving. I want to open, this is what God's saying through Paul, I want to open to you new opportunities. I want to make your world larger and larger in the area of your finances, but all you're concentrating on are these areas, and I can't get into that part of your life. Do you know we can segment parts of our life off people? We do it all the time. We do it all the time. We have our Sunday morning relationship with God. We have certain segments of our life. We say, God, you are the Lord of my life in this area. I kind of do what I want over here in this area. And this is what God was saying through Paul to them. I want you to abound in this grace at all. Look at verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Now hold up. Here's what he's doing. I almost didn't catch this the first time I read it. Remember, he was telling them in verse 1 that we're making known to you the grace of God bestowed in the churches of Macedonia. You know, your neighbors, your rivals, your next door neighbors. He said, I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. In other words, I'm wanting to see if you are going to have the same level of sincerity that your brothers in Macedonia have. He's almost using a competitive challenge spiritually to encourage them. And he says it in other places in Corinthians where he's urging them by their giving. Look in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, I know this. As soon as you start talking about rich in church, people get nervous. People think about, you know, I've heard accused of us that we say everybody's supposed to be rich. They say all kinds of crazy things about our church. I'm glad we're online now that people can actually watch and they can know what we say in church. So there are those rumors about what, you know, we think everybody's supposed to be rich. Rich is such a relative term. 
Here's what that scripture means in a nutshell. Jesus became something that he was not. Jesus, who is rich, became poor. Jesus became something that he was not so that we could be something that we could not. The lady I just prayed with became something she could not because Jesus became something that he wasn't. Jesus became a sinner on that cross and he never sinned so that I could become righteous, which I could not do without him. I couldn't do it. I told her, you know, the most exciting thing after we prayed, I said, you know what? I'm getting ready to go preach to people and you and I, we're the same. She was like, I said, yeah, we're the same. You're a daughter of the king. I'm a son. We're on the same level. Five minutes ago, both of us were on the same level needing a savior. Now we're on the same level we got one. <laughs> Jesus became something that he was not so I could become something I could not. When we get to hearing these terms and we hear rich and we get nervous like, what does it mean to be rich? I want, I want to share this with you. I looked up these stats. Gallup did a survey because we're talking about specifically money. People get thinking that generosity has to do with a lot amount, a big amount. They did a survey on what a person had to make a year to be rich. A national survey. You know what the number they came up with? The national number in the survey was $150,000 a year. If you made $150,000 a year, you were rich. But I promise you, if you would poll everyone who makes $150,000 a year, they would say they're not rich. Because they would point to their bills, their mortgage, their college payments, their whatever, and they would say, I am not rich. So they changed the poll, and they, they asked people that made thirty dollars to $35,000, how much money do you think you would need to make in order to be considered rich? You know what they said? They said $75,000. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? <laughs> you know, my, my, we make $75,000. I know right now, we are far, we're struggling right now to make ends meet. Do you know why? Because rich is such a relative term. If you make, if you make anywhere, combined household income, over $30,000 a year, combined, you're in the top 1% of the planet. Top 1%. So, well, that's not that's skewed with the people in part. I know. But this is what we're talking about. We're not giving out of large amounts. We're talking about the portion that God's given to us. So let me close with this. Look at verse 10. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. How many has ever had a desire to do something, but you didn't follow through? I'd lift my other foot, but I can't. How many times we've had the desire to say, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start that diet. I'm gonna start going to the gym. I'm gonna start tithing. I'm gonna start praying more. I'm gonna start reading my Bible. Yes, I'm gonna start. I got a desire. I have no doubt that we have the desire. But here's what Paul said to them Church, you've got a desire to be generous, Corinth. 
But now you need to complete the doing of it. It's one thing to say I'm going to do something. It's another thing to complete it. We got to make it happen. We got to do it. We got to step off and make it happen. He says, verse 12, I'm sorry, it's finishing verse 11, that there was a readiness to desire it so there also may be a completion out of what you have, out of what you have. The completion, man. We make this mistake. We think the completion is in something we don't have yet. the completion out of what you have. The answer is not that when I get something else, now I can. Hear me. Whatever it is in your life, the answer is not when I get more of this than I can. It's giving out of what you have. It's not, well, if I had more patience, I would be, no, 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 be more patient with what you have. It's not if I had more out of what you have. The answer's in your hand. The answer is not out there. The answer is in here. Give of what I have. I'm not believing God. I'm not saying, well, I'll be generous when I get $10 more an hour raise. No, you won't. No, you won't. If you're not being generous where you are, you won't be generous with more. It'll get sucked up with more bills. You'll buy more toys. You'll buy a nicer house, a nicer car, and all of a sudden, you're making more, but you're retaining the same amount. Why is it? Because we're feeding the monster. We're feeding the monster of going through the same patterns of, of not giving margins. And man, I can get off into budgeting here, but this is what we do. And we're, we're not looking to God to be the Lord of our finances. We run into the same thing. Verse 12, for there is first a willing mind. If there is first a willing mind, if you're freely willing today, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. As is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. It's accepted according to what you have. God was writing to this church. He said, I want you to be generous with what you have. I want you to be like the church of Macedonia, and I want you to give out of what you have. Give of your time. Give of your finances. Give of your talents. Be generous. This is what we're trying to build. We're not trying to build a big building. We're trying to build generosity. Generous people. That you're generous with your family. You're generous amongst your brothers and sisters. What would it be like if siblings were generous to one another? What? Huh? Can I make your bed for you? Come on said no teenager ever. No, could you say, hey, sis, could I clean up the bathroom for you? I know it's your turn, but I'd like to do it for you. I'm just prophesying over my house right now in Jesus' name. <laughs> but no, listen. Here's the application. Are we being generous with what we have? Are you living a generous life? God's wanting to challenge this church all you watching online, 